Welcome, everybody, on this Saturday morning, February 26th, 2011, to Dave's Gong By. It's three hours of talk, humor, music, interviews, all sorts of stuff. We do it a little different every time, but we've been doing it 344 times. Yep, all the way back to October of 2002 when this program started back in New York, and then we moved it here to Northern Colorado and the University of Northern Colorado and our wonderful radio station here, UNC Radio, which you're listening to either on uncradio.com or on your dorm room television sets, Channel 3. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, the host of Dave's Gone By, and I always tell you at this part of the show what we're going to be doing on the rest of the program, and it's going to be a pretty cool, fun, and musical one. First of all, we will have a guest in our 11 o'clock hour, and that is a fellow named Stan Ransom. Now, Stan is, I think, 82 or 83 years old, but he has been a musician since, mm, I think, if not the early 1940s, then the actual year, 1940. Stan... Um, got into folk music, and very specifically, folk songs of the Northeast and of New England and Long Island and the odd Adirondacks of New York, and trying to figure out what the people who settled the place were singing, the fishermen and the clamors, what were the, the songs that they were singing on the boats. And he became fascinated by this and started to compile all these songs, and also, since he knew how to play about 10 different instruments, began to be able to play them, sometimes on even kind of authentic instruments of the period. So Stan Ransom will be talking about the folk music of that period, as well as his own, uh, the music and the CDs that he has put out, as well as the fact of his whole other career, really his day job, is that he was a library. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's Saturday morning, ladies and gentlemen. No, he, he, he may be a library of songs, but he was a librarian for many years on Long Island. In fact, he was um, director of the Huntington Public Library for 15 years. And the reason that interests me is that I have worked in libraries for a lengthy period of my life back in New York, all the way from junior high school up until literally – we moved to Colorado last year. I worked part-time in my local library. When I was a kid, when I was in junior high school and high school, I shelved books and got people magazine requests. And when I got a bit older, I showed their movies. 
first on big old 16-millimeter projectors where I'd have to change the reels three or four times in the course of a night. And then, uh, you know, time passes on and suddenly it's the DVD revolution. <laughs> I just push them. I felt guilty. I mean, it's not like I was paid much, but here I was. I had gone from having to deal with reels and timing one reel going to the other and and rewinding an entire reel of 16-millimeter film and putting that away and putting them in the canisters and boxing them up and shipping them and also, you know, having to worry if a film broke, you know, or the bulb went out and having to change that or having to sometimes even do sort of a hurried splice. And so there was work involved, even though through most of a movie, if I didn't want to watch it, I could sit up in the projection booth and just kind of hang and read and do my homework. But you know, as soon as DVD players came in, they said, okay, here it is. You put the, the DVD in this little holder. You push the button. You hit play. You make sure it's subtitled. And uh, you're basically done. <laughs> you just hang for an hour and 45 minutes. Make sure the, the DVD doesn't skip, which sometimes it would, or stop. You know, or, or there'd be troubles with the sound. But it, it just, it, I don't know. It, somehow I felt a little bit guilty when we made that changeover, even though obviously the, the quality of the projection and the film and the sound got better when, we, uh, when they changed everything. But I'm saying that all just in respect of the fact that we are having Stan Ransom, a librarian and library director for many years, as well as a folk musician on Dave's Gone By this morning. Also on the program, we'll be playing birthday tributes to Johnny Cash and Fats Domino, playing some of their music, just because it would have been Johnny Cash's 79th birthday today, February 26th, and it is... Fats Domino's 82nd birthday. He is still with us. We thought we lost him in Katrina, but uh, they found him. I think it was on top of a house. He's okay. I don't think he's playing much in public anymore. He was kind of reclusive for a while anyway, but still with us. So happy, happy birthday to Fats Domino. And we'll be hearing some of his music. We'll also do our weekly Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment where we play about we usually play about half an hour of his songs. I may be starting to cut that a little smaller just to save more time in the show. But it's still going to be close to a half hour of Bob Dylan music from all different times of his career. The early stuff, the bootlegs, the rarities, all the way up to his most recent albums and recordings. Bob Dylan sooner and later, and we generally do that in the noon hour. And last but sometimes least, Rabbi Saul Solomon will be visiting us with a rabbinical reflection this Saturday morning. Rabbi Sal Solomon does a few minutes on the air to give us his spiritual thoughts of events in the news. And, well, he could not resist, considering what happened with Charlie Sheen this week and some of the statements the actor made. So you do not want to miss Rabbi Sal Solomon's thoughts on Charlie Sheen. All of that today on Dave's Gone By. Oh, yes, and also we will be going inside Broadway because, um, as I've said the past couple of weeks, a little less than a month ago, I was in New York seeing family and friends and also seeing a lot of theater on and off Broadway. And I come back and I report on what I've seen to let you know if you happen to be going to New York, uh, what's worth out there. Or, or of course, you know, so many of my listeners are on the East Coast and in New York. So I'll be doing reviews of the off-Broadway 
play Molly Sweeney. It's a revival of a Brian Friel drama that was on Broadway a couple of years ago. Well, a couple of years. It was probably about 15 years ago now. Uh, now it's being revived off-Broadway by the very estimable Irish Repertory Theater. So I'll let you know what I thought of it. And also I went to see the Broadway staging of Driving Miss Daisy. Now it is the Broadway premiere by the way. Such a famous play, but it actually was an off-Broadway hit when it was running about 20 years ago. And then it, of course, became the movie, and it won some prizes, but um, never been on Broadway until now. And it's starring Vanessa Redgrave and uh, James Earl Jones, and I went to see it. And I'll let you know what I thought on Inside Broadway. So all of that, Stan Ransom, Johnny Cash, Fats Domino, Bob Dylan, dramas on and off Broadway, and Rabbi Saul on Charlie Sheen. Boy, oh boy, what a show we have for you today. Uh, really runs the gamut. So let us get started with Fats Domino reminding us that he's ready. Well, I'm ready. That Mason-Dixon line At daylight would you tell that engineer to slow it down Or better still just stop the train Cause I want to look around Hey Porter, hey Porter What time did you say? How much longer would it be till I can see the light of day? When we hit Dixie will you tell that engineer to ring his bell And ask everybody that ain't asleep to stand right up and yell Thank you. 
Hey, Porter, hey, Porter, it's getting light outside. This old train is puffing smoke and I have to strain my eyes. But ask that engineer if he will blow his whistle, please. Cause I smell frost on cotton leaves and I feel that southern breeze. Hey, Porter, hey, Porter, please get my bags for me. I need nobody to tell me now that we're in Tennessee. Go tell that engineer to make that lonesome whistle scream. We're not so far from home, so take it easy on the steam. up the door. When they stop this train, I'm gonna get off first, cause I can't wait no more. Tell an engineer I said thanks a lot, and I didn't mind a fare. I'm gonna set my feet on southern soil and breathe that southern air.
early one morning with time to kill I borrowed Jeb's rifle and sat on the hill I saw a lone rider crossing the plain I drew a bead on him to practice my aim My brother's rifle went off in my hand A shot rang out across the land The horse he kept running, the rider was dead I hung my head, I hung my head I set off running to wake from the dream My brother's rifle went into the sheen I kept on running into the Southlands That's where they found me, my head in my hands The sheriff, he asked me, why had I run? And then it came to me, just what I had done And all for no reason, just one piece of lead I hung my head, I hung my head Here in the courthouse, the whole town was there I see the judge, high up in his chair Explain to the courtroom what went through your mind And we'll ask the jury what verdict they find I felt the power of death over life I orphaned his children, I widowed his wife I beg their forgiveness, I wish I was dead I hung my head, I hung my head, I hung my head One morning with time to kill I see the gallows up on the hill And out in the distance a trick of the brain I see a lone rider crossing the plain And he come to fetch me to see what they done And we'll ride together till kingdom come I pray for God's mercy, cause soon I'll be dead. I hung my head, I hung my head, I hung my head, I hung my head. you to take me where I belong where horse has been broken with a kiss and a song 
Johnny Cash there live, Ring of Fire at San Quentin. Always love uh, the sense of humor of Johnny Cash, where he himself has made the jokes occasionally that Ring of Fire was actually a song about his hemorrhoids. Um, gotta love that about the man. So we're honoring 
Johnny Cash and Fats Domino because they both have birthdays today. Uh, Johnny would have been 79 years old, and Fats Domino is 82 years old today, February 26th. So our Saturday segue on Dave's Gone By is uh, a bunch of Cash and um, Fats Domino songs. I don't know where I blanked blanked there for a minute. Uh, But... A couple of things that you should know if you're listening to the program to enhance your listening experience. First of all, the uh, playlist for the show is posted on MySpace. We update it about once every half hour. So if you're wondering what a song is and you don't want to wait for me to back announce it or you missed when I was back announcing it, just go to the MySpace page for the show, myspace.com forward slash Dave's Gone By. MySpace.com forward slash Dave's Gone By. And you will see the songs that we've played so far in our Saturday segue, which included Fats Domino doing I'm Ready, The Fat Man, and Valley of Tears. And interspersed, we heard Johnny Cash doing Hey Porter, I Hung My Head, a really great song by Sting, and Ring of Fire from the uh, San Quentin collection. Going to play some more Fats Domino and Johnny Cash, but first have some other uh, quick stuff to tell you, reminding you that 11 o'clock we've got Stan Ransom coming in talking about folk music of the New York State area, Long Island and New York. Should be a very fascinating and fun conversation with musician Stan Ransom. Also have Inside Broadway coming up later uh, with reviews of the shows Driving Miss Daisy on Broadway and Molly Sweeney off-Broadway. Rabbi Sal Solomon will be coming in with his rabbinical reflection uh, about Charlie Sheen. We'll play some Bob Dylan songs at about noon. And what else? Oh, yes, I forgot to mention this. We have a ticket giveaway. Woohoo! If you are in or near northern Colorado, you have two chances to see today at the Union Colony Civic Center, the UCCC, over on 10th Avenue downtown. Uh, they're bringing in a tour of the Wizard of Oz with, uh, I guess, you know, I don't know if it's as huge as like the Madison Square Garden or Broadway version or wherever wherever they did it in New York, but it is a pretty big touring show, and it's coming to Greeley today. They're doing one matinee at 3 o'clock, and then they have another performance at 7.30 tonight. Well, tickets are on sale for those uh, on the UCCC website. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the phone number for them, but you can you can still get tickets. I think the matinee is pretty full, but still has some availabilities. And then there are a few more availabilities tonight at 7.30. But what's cool is uh, that tonight I've got a pair of tickets to see Wizard of Oz at the UCCC. They're absolutely free. All you have to do is give me a call at the station when music is playing Okay, please don't do it while I'm on the air. But but when I go back to the segue with Johnny Cash and Fats Domino, just give me a buzz at the radio station and let me know. Here's the quiz question. Who wrote the original Wizard of Oz books? Who was the author? There was the Wizard of Oz and then all those sequels. Who was the novelist? What was his name? Oh, I gave you a hint there. It's a he. If you want to Google it, that's fine. If you don't know it off the top of your head. But when music starts playing, call me. 970-351-1256 970-351-1256 at the radio station and you 
can win a pair of free tickets for tonight, 730 uh, at 701-10th Avenue, the UCCC, and the touring production of The Wizard of Oz. Well, I'll get back to the music in just a moment, reminding you also that you can email me, not for the contest, but just in general, for suggestions and uh, ideas for songs to play, shout-outs, whatever it is, Dave's gone by at AOL.com. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. And also, please check my website, Dave's gone by.com, for more information about this program, the history of the show, and tons of archives, audio archives of episodes going back eight and a half years. They're all free. You can either download them onto your iPods or computers, or just stream them on your computers. Don't even have to download them. They just play right there if you click. So check it out, davesgoneby.com. So now let's go back to the Saturday segue with Fats Domino and Johnny Cash. Remember, for the uh, the theater tickets tonight, 970-351-1256. First caller who tells me who wrote The Wizard of Oz books wings a pair. Fats, take it away. Yes, it's me and I'm in love again Had no love and say you know when You know I love you, yes I do And I'm saving all my love in jail for you Need your loving and I need it bad Just like a dog when he's going mad Ooh-wee, baby, ooh-wee Baby, won't you give your love to me There's a silver lining behind every cloud Just four people, that's all we were Trying to make a living out of Blacklander But we'd get together in a family circle singing loud Daddy sang bass Singing seems to help a troubled soul One of these days and it won't be long I'll rejoin them in a song I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne No, the sir, 
base In the sky, Lord, in the sky Now I remember after work Mama would call in all of us You could hear us singing For a country mile Now little brother has done gone on But I'll rejoin him in a song We'll be together again up yonder in a little while Daddy sing bass Cause singing seems to help a troubled soul One of these days and it won't be long I'll rejoin them in a song I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne Oh no, the circle won't be broken By and by, Lord, by and by Daddy sing bass In the sky, Lord, in the sky In the sky, Lord, in the
my sweetest friend Everyone I know goes away in the end And you could have it all Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all Legendary stuff there from Johnny Cash, American Four, The Man Comes Around. That was the album that just uh, not only reminded people that Johnny Cash was still there, but showed him at an absolute later peak in his life. Um, you know, I mean, they've released so many recordings now from that period that uh, the critics have said, okay, you know, he was just grabbing any song and doing it in that Rick Rubin stripped-down style, and after a while... Even that becomes a cliche, but it sure wasn't when he did uh, songs like that. I hung my head, and we also heard Hurt from Johnny Cash. Great, great stuff. And not to be neglected, fellow birthday boy Fats Domino heard some of his music too. I am in love again and whole lot of loving for you. And we also heard Johnny Cash doing Daddy Sang Bass in there. Our Saturday segue for February 26th, 2011 on Dave's Gone By. Well, I wanted to go inside Broadway with you on this episode because it's already a couple of weeks since I got back from New York and I'm <laughs> starting to forget the stuff I did and saw there. So I wanted to get it all out there for you and uh, tell you about it because um, I saw a what was it, like 12 shows in six and a half days 
when I was back in Manhattan three, four weeks ago. And I talked about the comedies last week. So I mentioned the importance of being earnest and uh, Charles Bush's play, The Divine Sister and Baby Wants Candy and cool things like that. Well, um, I'm going to do a couple of the dramas today that I saw when I was back in New York, including a show called Molly Sweeney, which is a play by the great Irish playwright Brian Friel. Uh, Friel, probably best known for Dancing at Lunasa and Philadelphia, Here I Come, two really beautiful plays. The uh, This play, Molly Sweeney, isn't quite on that level, though it, it could have been, and I'll tell you why it just misses out on that. But they're doing a strong revival of Molly Sweeney at the Irish Repertory Theater. And I probably mentioned this before on Inside Broadway, but something happened with Irish Rep a few years back. Maybe <clears throat> maybe they got an influx of money because they're pretty good at raising cash. But mm, not that they, not like they spent it on big elaborate sets. And not that they spend it on moving or getting another building, because if you've ever been to the Irish Repertory Theater off-Broadway on 22nd Street, uh, you'll, you'll know that their downstairs main theater is a very weird configuration. It's, really, it's two-sided with poles kind of in the middle. And, I mean, it's very intimate. It's a neat place, but it's weird for directors and sometimes a little weird for audiences because you're kind of um, – it isn't – it's intimate, but it's not really conducive for theater. You don't get that real nice feeling of being sort of surrounding the play or uh, or even, say, a three-sided spot like, um, what is it, the Mitzi Newhouse in Lincoln Center. Irish Rep has a very particular and peculiar two-sided configuration. But um, they haven't changed that, and they haven't moved it or, or reworked the building. They're putting all their money, I guess, into just keeping going, doing plays well with good actors. And um, they are devoted, of course, to Irish writers and Irish plays and Irish-themed plays. So they're now doing Molly Sweeney with three actors, including um, Karan O'Reilly, who is a co-artistic director of Irish Rep, as well as Jonathan Hogan, who has been a longtime veteran on and off-Broadway actor, and Geraldine Hughes. Now, Geraldine Hughes plays... Molly Sweeney, and she is the woman who is pretty much blind almost since birth. She is legally blind, can basically make out just a little bit, like if you wave your hand in front of her face, she can kind of tell that you're doing it, but she can't see much else. And she's married to this kind of happy-go-lucky, plucky fella who puts his mind to a lot of things, but his energy kind of dissipates in all different directions and can't really stay that focused. But he makes her kind of his project. He does love her very much, and he realizes he, he reads all the time. And he, um, he oh, I, I seem to have a phone call. Well, let's see. Let's see who's calling on the phone. UNC Radio, Dave Lefkowitz here. Who's calling, please, on Dave's Gone By? Hi, this is Stan Ransom. I'm calling a little early to make sure I get a good connection. Oh, well, Stan, hi, this is Dave. We're, we're currently on the air, and I'm doing Inside Broadway. We have a wonderful connection. If um, We'd love to talk to you, but can you call back at about dun, 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 one minute to 11 my time, which I guess is one minute to uh, one o'clock your time? 
But you sound great. You sound great. We'll be playing your music, and we will be talking to Stan Ransom in just about 15 minutes. Thank you, Stan. Okay. Cool. Okay. Well, we know we have our 11 (laughs) o'clock. Always makes me feel happy and comfortable, except now my 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 worry begins. It was like um, last week we had Linda Lavin on the program, the actress who is currently in the Mitzi Newhouse Theater doing other desert cities, and she called, uh, or I called her at about five minutes to the time of our interview, and it's like, okay, any questions? Blah blah blah. I'm playing some music, and can you just hold? And she's like, no, 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 I don't want to hold. I'm walking around with a cell phone. You know, call, call me back. So, boom, hangs up, and now the song is ending. I've got to go call her back. Of course she doesn't pick up. Of course I get her answering machine. <laughs> and then I, st- I start frantically dialing. There's silence on the radio. I, I start another song, and then I just pocket it down, and I-, I get her back on the phone. But you know, the-, the worries that you have when you're a radio broadcaster and you don't have a team of engineers uh, helping you out and-, and throwing dials and taking phone calls and stuff. But, yeah, Stan Ransom, all right, coming up in just a little bit. But let me continue talking about Molly Sweeney. So... Frank, her husband, is reading all these magazines just because he does. He's a curious person and discovers that there just may be a possible operation that can be done that can restore at least partially her sight. Now, Molly Sweeney has become quite comfortable the way she is. She's a happy person. She loves using her other senses. She remembers the way flowers would smell when her dad would bring them to her. And so she she really goes along with the idea of getting an operation in order to please her husband because he's kind of pushing her along. She's really okay the way she is. And they find a doctor who was once really rising and almost famous and, and um, well-known in the field, but you know, because of some bad things that happened to him, he kind of went downhill and started uh, drinking a bit. And so he is on the outs, and he sees her as a way, if the su- surgery goes well, to make his name again, to climb back into doing this kind of rare and unusual and you know, somewhat not really dangerous surgery. I mean, really, she doesn't have much to lose, per se, because she's already blind. It's not going to make her more blind, and it isn't dangerous to her life. So he says, hey, why not? This could get me back into the American Journal of Medicine, the Irish Journal of Medicine anyway. Um, so they all sort of converge, and she goes to, uh, to visit, and he operates on her. And the operation, and I can tell you this, it doesn't really give away the whole play, the operation is a success, but the ramifications are not quite what you would expect. I won't tell you any more. It's a really terrific, fascinating plot, really well-acted show. The only thing that keeps Molly Sweeney, I think, from being a great play is that Friel does what he does in, um, oh, that, that play about the huckster and the religious guy who heals people, a faith healer. He has the whole play structured in monologues so that nobody ever actually talks to each other. Now, of course, you can defend that aesthetically by saying, well, yes, all three characters in the play are isolated. They're isolated people and in their own way, in their own worlds. The doctor is kind of drunk and alone and his wife is gone and you know, he's out of the medical community and he really only sort of cares in some ways about himself. Then Molly is in her own world sensorily because of where she's at. And then Frank is, is a dreamer and a schemer. 
So it can be said that Friel is making the right playwriting decision to never have them talk to each other and just have them talk to the audience. And also the fact that the whole play kind of goes in retrospect because if you do that, if everybody's just talking monologues and remembering, there's no forward motion. It's all kind of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and we're all still here. So that kind of saps a little bit of the energy of the piece. And also the fact that Friel is a, is a beautiful writer, a marvelous writer of dialogue. He has that Irish gift. But because he has the gift of gab, he tends to overuse it a little bit. And wouldn't be so bad if the play were a little bit shorter. Wouldn't mind. People talk in that play even more than I do. So am I recommending it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good, solid, dramatic piece of theater. And we do feel for the characters. We just don't get as emotionally involved as we'd like to, as I said, because of the play's structure. But kudos to uh, director Charlotte Moore. She does a very nice job staging the piece at Irish Repertory Theater on West 22nd Street. And other people are liking it, too, because it was recently extended until April 9th. The only bad slash good news is that Geraldine Hughes will be leaving the play once the extension period starts, and there'll be a new actress. Maybe she'll, she'll be just as good. Her name is Simone Kirby. But either way, I'm sure it'll be fine. Do go see Molly Sweeney off-Broadway. Um, Driving Miss Daisy. Now, that is on Broadway. That kind of took the other trip. Molly Sweeney was on Broadway years ago. Now they're reviving it off-Broadway. Driving Miss Daisy, the Alfred, Alfred Urey modern classic. It won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, did not win the Tony Award, though. You know why? Because it was off-Broadway. Because that big hit run that they had for well over a year, I guess, was off-Broadway. Way back, I think, um, who was it? Dana Ivey was in it. And Morgan Freeman. Or maybe I'm just remembering him from the movie little confused on that, sorry. But anyway, the show, of course, was huge, made Alfred Urey's name, uh, became kind of a cultural touchstone, if you will. Well, now they're reviving it on Broadway. So technically, it's actually the Broadway premiere of Driving Miss Daisy. It's directed by David S. Bjornsson, and it stars, well, you don't really get much bigger stars than this on Broadway. James Earl Jones playing Hoke, Vanessa Redgrave playing Daisy, and hey, it's also a three-character play. Boyd Gaines is playing her son, Booley. And, I, I, well, if you don't know the story, it's about a woman in the South, somewhere, I, I think it kind of starts in the 1930s or 40s, and she's getting you know a little bit on in years. So actually, it's post-war. Excuse me, but she's getting a little bit on in years. And her son Bully decides, hey, you know, she's smashed up the car. His mom is just not quite capable of driving anymore. So he's going to get her a driver. Has to be a black man because it's the South of that era. So he finds Hoke, who desperately needs a job. He's a very big and jovial fella, and he's going to put up with. Whatever Miss Daisy gives him, just because hey, he's a, he wants the job, he needs the job, and he's a pretty, pretty genial guy all along, so you know, nothing's going to really get him down. He's going to get the job done. He's going to drive her, and he has too much pride when she refuses to be shepherded around by him um, to, to say – to just sit there, collect his paycheck, and do nothing. So he helps her a little bit around the house and uh, you know, becomes her – 
assistant, not, not her servant, but her assistant, and ultimately, and most touchingly, in some ways, her only friend. Um, it's a good, good play. I'm surprised when I saw it at how many short scenes there are. I didn't realize it. it's kind of vignette in the way that the, the piece is put together. I always figured it was just much longer scenes in Miss Daisy's house. But it builds very nicely, and it's very funny very often. In fact, my one little complaint is that both um, James Earl Jones and Boyd Gaines overplay a little bit in the early part of the piece. James Earl Jones overplays Hoke's boisterousness and bigness, and, <laughs> and he mugs a little bit towards the audience. And so does Boyd Gaines when he's, his bully is still kind of young and finding his way in business. They both get better. I mean, they're both good, but they both get better as the play goes on. Um, and L- Vanessa Redgrave, I know I have my political problems with her, but this is one of the best performances I've seen her give on stage. Her accent is there pretty much all the time, and what she really captures is uh, this fear. And my wife knows about this because she's a gerontologist and, and teaches gero at UNC, but that, that fear of losing it. When you get older, that fear that is it Alzheimer's, is it a physical thing, is it a stroke? And you you try extra hard to hold on and you don't want to admit to yourself or to anybody else that the reins are slipping a little bit, that the brains are slipping a little bit. And Redgrave is marvelous at showing how the brittleness is masking just that fear of losing who she is and losing the control and determination over her own life. And so, um, oh, and also I have to say, a nice touch, the way Boyd Gaines, uh, his, his persona and his wardrobe change as he becomes more successful in his business. It's a subtle change. And, and do I have the costume designer down? Yeah, Jane Greenwood. Very nice work. Uh, well, from all the designers on Driving Miss Daisy. So, yes, it is three stars and worth catching even if you've seen the movie. Even if you kind of know the, or think you know the whole play, it's really a nice, nice piece and a nice time at the theater driving Miss Daisy on Broadway. Well, in just a couple of minutes, we will be talking to musician Stan Ransom. He will be our guest in the neighborhood. Best way to really introduce him is to start playing some of the music that he plays on the various instruments that he plays. Let's hear, um, let's see, how about... My long, excuse me, my long island home. Sweet childhood days, sweet summer days in my long island home. Through fields so clear, or pathways near. Where as a boy I would roam Long Island sunshine and Long Island air Long Island moonlights, there's none can compare Often I think of its beauty so rare Take me back to my home, sweet home Pleasing thoughts, pleasing dreams of the long ago it's springtime of youth and love In my home by the sea My sweetheart and me 
and the heavenly skies above. For in this divine world, as our lives unfurl, we would plan for the days to come. Just a Long Island boy, a Long Island girl, with a spirit of home, sweet home. No place to me ever will be like my Long Island home. No sky so blue. No friends so true, no place like my home sweet home. Long Island sunrise and Long Island moon, Long Island days that pass only too soon. Long Island gardens and Long Island shores just keep calling me home sweet home. Pleasing thoughts, pleasing dreams of the long ago, with its springtime of youth and love. In my home by the sea, my sweetheart and me, and the heavenly skies above. For in this divine world, as our lives unfurl, we would plan for the days to come. Just a Long Island boy, a Long Island girl, with a spirit of home, sweet home. What a charming little song from uh, Stan Ransom there, and uh, My Long Island Home from the album of that title. Now, Stan Ransom... Ah, I could take up this whole time set aside for the interview with just reading his resume of all the things that he's done, including being an army veteran, a lumberjack, a musicologist, a musician, a storyteller, and a librarian. He was the uh, director of the Huntington Public Library for about 15 years, and then uh, Stan plays, let me, I'm going to list them here, the guitar, the hammer, dulcimer, mandolin, banjo, the cora, the charango, the auto harp, and the bowed psaltery. And, and that's just, really, that is just a couple. Please welcome the man that the Plattsburgh Chamber of Commerce named 1998 Irishman of the Year, the one and only Connecticut peddler, Stan Ransom. Hey, Stan, welcome to the neighborhood. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be on. <laughs> glad, glad to have you on. Now, um, My Long Island Home, the song that we just played, did you write that? No. No. Um, I only wrote one song on those two CDs. That was I Love Long Island. Oh, okay. So it, my, my Long Island Home was a traditional number or fairly recent? or My Long Island Home... There were several, my own Long Island, my Long Island home, I think, written by, let me see. I'm, I'm just here. curious how far they go back. Are they like 100 years? Are they? It was probably written in 1928. I think by a fellow named Ed Greenwood uh, with music by Hugh Knox. There were a number of songs written in the 20s that uh, extolled the virtues of Long Island. Long Island at that time was becoming somewhat interesting to the people who lived in New York City. So a lot of people in the 20s decided to move out to Long Island 
Uh, it was all farmland. There was plenty of land available. It was cheap. And then they had the Long Island Railroad, so uh, they could take that, or if they had a car, mm-hmm. they could come right uh, into town. Also, those were the years of, of F. Scott Fitzgerald and the Great Gatsby. So yes. that kind of yep. put Long Island on the map in its way as well. On the Gold Coast, up near Oyster Bay. What got you investigating the songs of Long Island? And then, when you realized you were really interested in it, how did you go exploring and finding the songs and the poems of that, well, not just of that era, but going backwards and forwards? That was a fun thing to do. Of course, um, I was a librarian. First, I worked at New York Public Library for about five years and then got a little restless, and my wife and I decided we would come to the more rural areas of Long Island. So I applied for a job as uh, at the Huntington Public Library and was assistant director for two years and then director in 1958. Yeah. All this time, I'd been interested in folk music. I'd been playing music for since like the fifth grade in uh, school. And um, so I was always looking for new songs. In Long Island, I asked about songs on Long Island. They said, no, there aren't any. There's no traditional music on Long Island. It's all, uh, you know, Broadway stuff and popular things. And I didn't believe them. So I started asking around and found one or two. And then I really started in depth and this was early in the 1960s. I was part of the folk music revival where people would come out from New York City and uh, we started to play some of the old songs. I had a lot of friends who played different instruments, banjos and guitars and fiddles. Mm-hmm. And we looked into some of those. But mostly what we were singing at that time was um, oh, the popular things, you know, the Kingston Trio type and um, that were popularized on the radio. But I wanted to find out more deeply what was going on in Long Island. So I started with libraries, being a librarian, mm-hmm. and I looked in all the old local history collections, every single one that I could find, uh, the Smithtown, uh, East Hampton had a good collection, the Pennypacker collection. I went into New York City to the New York Historical Society, the Long Island Historical Society, and I began to pick up quite a few songs, uh, which I could copy down. They were all in the public domain. And uh, then I started reading a lot of the diaries of uh, people who'd lived in Long Island or stories about Long Island and in, in their once in a while, you'd find a song or a mention of a song like Wayne Scott Dumpling. Wait, wait, that, that, uh, you, you can't mention a song with a name like that without my, uh, without my actually playing it. Here is Stan Ransom. It's a very short song doing Wayne Scott Dumpling. Wayne Scott Dumpling caught a whale Stuck an iron in his tail When the whale began to spout Then he hauled the iron out Wayne Scott Dumpling caught a whale Stuck an iron in his tail When the whale began to spout Then he hauled the iron out And that's the song. That's Wayne Scott Dumpling. Two verses and you're out. Um, That's a, ch- a children's song of 1832. 1832, wow. Yep. I found that in um, Edward's book called Whale Off, 
uh, published in 1956, and there it was. And uh, in some cases, a lot of these were poetry, and I put music to it. I composed a, a tune for that one. Another one that a little later on that I found out was uh, uh, very interesting was one called "Where Are the Stones," and that oh, was. I think they're touring uh, next year, aren't they? No, I'm okay. <laughs> this um, was a, po- a poem by Samuel Young's. Uh, where Where are the stones that mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay? And of course, the refrain is. There are no stones to mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay on clams and such nutritious foods. They live till Resurrection Day. So this was a 19th century tribute to the long-lived residents of Oyster Bay. Well, actually, that's a, a pretty short song, too. Do you mind if we uh, we give one a spin? Oh, sure. This is also from Stan Ransom's CD, I Love Long Island. And did you, is, did you compose the music to this one, or did this come with... Uh, the music. The tune, I composed the tune to this one. Where are the stones? Where are the stones that mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay? Where are the stones that mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay? There are no stones to mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay. On clams and such nutritious food, they'll live till Resurrection Day. Where are the stones that mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay? Where are the stones that mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay? There are no stones to mark the bones of those who die in Oyster Bay. On clams and such nutritious food, they'll live till Resurrection Day. More from Stan Ransom, Where Are the Stones? A song that, uh, again, he found, and, and is that also from the early and mid-1800s? Uh, that was from a book by um, Overton uh, called The Long Island Story. Right. I found that uh, and put my tune to it. I'm kind of curious, what is the earliest song, uh, well, book, I should say, or song that you came across when you started investigating the music and the history of Long Island life. Well, one of the things I found was was a book called The Gentleman's Miscellany, published in New York in 1814, and it had a lot of uh, tunes in it that were popular in Long Island. Uh, it was a tune book. There were a number of uh, other uh, songs that I came across in tunes that uh, seemed to be uh, earlier but not identified as to date. I talked with a lot of people, uh, folk singers and uh, uh, fiddlers and so on on Long Island, and they would give me names of tunes and things like that, like Rustic Reel and others. Uh, Eric Martin from Beth Page uh, Restoration gave me a number of tips on songs and tunes, so I used those. I don't have a date for the earliest ones, but there were such things as uh, Tom Bowling. Uh, Tom Bowling was a sailor who had died. He fell from the, the mast and died. And um, this was a popular song, but it was written um, or composed by Charles Dibden before 1814. He, uh, he was, it was sung by a midshipman in 1780 while it was anchored off Gardner's Island in a book called Early Memories of Gardner's Island. 
So 1780 would be one of the ones. Well, that's pretty. My brain just doesn't really fathom history the way it ought to. Uh, you know, one of the great things when in like high school history classes and social studies was when a professor would connect things so that this was happening here in the world and this was happening there and this was happening over there. And they're all kind of connected because of shipping and because of uh, things that were going on. And I, I loved when he did that, but I never remember it. I just remember pieces of history. So it still intrigues me of like, at what point did Long Island become a place for fisher people as opposed to, I don't know, Indians or first settlers or pilgrims or Puritans? And then at what point did the shipping life develop? And the clamming and all that. Probably in the 1660s, because Connecticut claimed Long, uh, Eastern Long Island in 1665 and 6, and um, it didn't last too long. But during that time, there were a lot of uh, activity of people going back and forth from Connecticut to the end of Long Island. They didn't go around through New York City. They just went across on the ships, mm. boats. People just didn't think anything about it. They would just sail across to Stamford or other places, uh, London, and go to church. That's what the Lloyds did from Lloyd Neck, which is just above uh, Huntington, back when they were in charge of Queen's Village, as their manor was called. Now, you still make your home. Uh, are, Are you on the island, or are you up in the Adirondacks now? Oh, I'm up in the Adirondacks uh, in Plattsburgh. After I was about 17 years on Long Island, I got a chance to um, direct a three-county library system, Clinton, Essex, and Franklin County Library System in 1974. So my family and I came up here then and um, enjoyed the Adirondacks. But, you know, there's a great connection, Dave, between Long Island and North Country of New York State, which I don't think people really appreciate. Plattsburgh was settled in 1785 by a fellow named Zephaniah Platt and Melanchthon Smith. They were from Smithtown, Long Island. And having a little money and being canny people, they bought up all the script for land that was given to Revolutionary War soldiers. The government couldn't pay the soldiers, so they said, well, here's, you know, here's 100 acres of land. Uh, uh, This paper will give you this land. Mm -hmm. Well, most people either didn't want to move from where they were, or they didn't have any uh, real desire to go wherever the land was. So speculators like Zephaniah Platt would come along and say, hey, I'll give you a penny on a dollar for your land. And boy, that was good money. So they bought up all the kinds of land from up in the North Country. So Zephaniah Platt, Melanchthon Smith, and many other people came north and founded Plattsburgh, uh, 20 miles from the Canadian border, and uh, all the other areas around here. So there's so much Long Island activity around here that even when I was talking with Mrs. Uh, Geist, who is who uh, when at that time was the curator of the John Howard Payne House, the long you know home sweet home house in East Hampton, she said, "Yeah, my grandfather was a man named Averill, who was one of the hallowed names up here. He was a very important person, and he was in Plattsburgh, and he did maps of Clinton County and so on." There's still quite a connection. 
to the point where when I came up here, our college here was full of college students from Long Island. A lot of them said, well, the highest point on Long Island is Jane's Hill at 632 feet high, and it doesn't give much skiing experience, so we want to go to the Adirondacks, so they come to Plattsburgh State, and then they can have access to all the Adirondacks has to offer. So there's a very strong connection between Long Island and the North Country, surprisingly. We're talking with Plattsburgh citizen and also uh, Long Island former and not well, citizen, resident, I should say, American yep. citizen, certainly, and uh, real musicologist and researcher into the musical section of American history. But I want to ask Stan Ransom some more stuff about the other things that he's yep. done in his life, which is, I mean, you were in the military just after World War II, and you were stationed in Japan. That's right. For about a year and a half, I was in the Army of Occupation in Japan, and uh, Beppu in southern part in Kyushu traveled all over Japan with army outfits. It was an eye-opener for a little farm boy from Connecticut, so uh, well, what was I learned like? a lot. Well, I mean, really, huh? what, what was it like being in Japan in, you know, in post-war? I mean, obviously not all of Japan was, was blown to smithereens like Hiroshima or, or, or Nagasaki. I mean, I assume most of the rest of it was kind of okay and built up. But what was it like for a farm boy in his uniform, spending a year and a half in Japan. Well, it was a very interesting and eye-opening experience. Uh, the little children were all dressed in beautifully bright clothes. The Japanese didn't have much food at that time, so we weren't permitted to uh, use their food. But we were able to talk with them. I did. Uh, I gave English lessons at the Beppu Self-Cultural Association downtown. We could take advantage of trips to go see the uh, giant Buddhas and uh, religious shrines and places, the beautiful gardens, the, the Zen gardens, all of the other things that were going on. So we, we had enough spare time so we could uh, get around and see some of Japan. I was two days, uh, I toured Nagasaki about a year after the bomb had gone off. So uh, was just uh, awed by the uh, terrible destruction that the nuclear bomb made. Well, but, it, was, um, it was atomic. Um, <laughs> if it was nuclear, yeah. none of us would be well, here, I think. Well, right, the atomic uh, bomb that went off. But anyway, it's a beautiful country, and and how were the people? How were the people to you as an American serviceman, um, a victorious well, American? Well, the, the war was over, and they were very friendly. They wanted to know uh, more about America. They wanted to know English. They wanted to try and get to know the people who were there. And uh, for the most part, our army was uh, helpful to the Japanese people, trying to enable them to have jobs and uh, to to get food and uh, just to live. So they appreciated our being there. The war being over, we didn't have resentment uh, on the most of the people that we saw. In fact, all of the people that I met, they were mostly anxious to become what sounded like they wanted to become Americanized or at least to find out enough about us so that they could take benefit from anything that we had to offer. So it was a very good experience. I got to know a little Japanese language. I just think it's a beautiful country, certainly worth visiting. 
Now, were you a lumberjack before or after you were in uh, the service and in Japan? It was, well, both. Um, from 1943 to 1950, I was a lumberjack and forest guard for the Connecticut Park and Forest Commission. So uh, we'd go out and chop trees. We learned to be lumberjacks and uh, learned to use the cross-cut saw and the axes and uh, splitters and everything else. And also I was in charge of a fire uh, crew because there were a lot of forest fires. So it was kind of nice being called up out of an English class in high school because there was a forest fire and I'd race down to get my truck and my crew with 1,000 gallons of water and we would try and combat these forest fires uh, which had popped up and sometimes all night long trying to spray them and chop out the fire. So uh, it was very rewarding and helping to grow trees and distribute them to local farmers. I almost became a forest ranger, but then I thought, no, I'd rather do something with people and books. So became a librarian. No, but that kind of uh, threw me for a minute because you would figure a lumberjack is someone who is just simply cutting down trees and making paper and buildings and, and stuff like that, not the idea of you're also planting and redistributing and, and kind of parks and recreational oh. aspects of it, too. You know? But it made me appreciate that uh, I, one of the songs I found, I found a couple of songs that hadn't been recorded, and mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the things I'm most pleased at is to find old songs that haven't been known or recorded and make sure I preserve them by making a CD uh, that includes them and so on. One was called The Song of the Saranac River Drivers. Saranac River goes through Plattsburgh and out uh, up into the woods and uh, found that song. Um, Do I have that one? Let me see. Uh, is that on the, the CD that you gave me? Let's see. What was the song again? Sorry? It's the song is called Song of the Saranac River Drivers. I apparently do not. Sorry. Sorry, no, I, I can't play that one for you. It's, it's in the Ad, yeah, Adirondack Sampler CD number nine. Okay. Well, I don't have that. I, I've only got the, um, I've got the two Stan Ransom CDs, which, by the way, I might as well tell everybody, if you're interested in hearing some of these lost and found songs, some of them with the authentic original music and some with music by Stan Ransom to kind of approximate the feel of what these songs would have sounded like, or, or maybe they were just poems, and, and now they're put to music that's appropriate to them, you can get his CDs, including I Love Long Island and My Long Island Home, mm-hmm. Stan, R-A-N-S-O-M, dot com. There's also the Connecticut Peddler dot com. I know that that's a different website of yours, but it's also you. Well, actually, remind me, what is the Connecticut Peddler? What does that stand for? The Connecticut Peddler I adopted as my uh, stage name in 1951 because the Connecticut Peddler was known for going from Connecticut with all kinds of seeds, pins, needles, clocks, and traveling, uh, first walking, then by cart, then by wagon, all over the North Country and the New England states peddling his wares. So everywhere he went, he distributed uh, things that came from Connecticut, which was more industrialized and had more factories than other areas. So um, it became a very famous figure for 
people to see uh, going through the woods, through the farmlands, and they always welcomed this as they did other peddlers uh, because they brought some new things, news as well as the clocks and seeds and things which uh, they would uh, like needles and pins and so on, which were hard to come by. They had no stores in the earlier days. I have a theme song called The Connecticut Peddler, but I don't think I've recorded it. It's a song that was actually written in 1851. So the Connecticut peddler has been around for quite a long while. People say, well, why aren't you in Connecticut? I say, well, the peddler never stayed there, as I did. Uh, he peddled his stuff all over. I peddled songs and tunes, of course. Absolutely. And, and, and also, uh, the one thing that I haven't been able to, to, to mention yet is the fact of your having facility on quite a number of instruments. How did that all st- I mean, it's one thing to play the guitar, I mean, one thing to play a mandolin or uh, an auto harp. But how did you start getting into and discovering and playing some instruments I've never heard of? Well, little by little, um, I've played guitar and mandolin since uh, I was about 15 or 20. Then I, the auto harp I've always known about. It was in our family. We're a musical family in Connecticut. I have five. Uh, a brother and three sisters, my mother and father, they were all musical, played instruments, and we always sang at least once a week. We were always singing together with the choir in church and so on. So anyway, we just liked the idea of being able to play different instruments. So as they came along, I would try them out and play them. The hammer dulcimer I saw first in 1980, a friend of mine uh, built one. So I immediately had to have one and uh, got it and started taking lessons from whoever I could find. Now, I've been playing the hammer dulcimer for quite some years now, since 1980, and have about five of them now. And uh, I really enjoy playing it. Some people call it uh, a logger's piano. It was taken into the North Woods and played by uh, loggers uh, in the early days, a portable instrument sort of like an upright piano with the front taken off. There you have the uh, the strings, and when you press a key, a hammer, a padded hammer, comes out and hits the piano strings. Hmm. And so the hammer dulcimer is just the shortcut of it. It's a small portable soundboard with a lot of strings. My present one has 92 strings. They're in pairs, so there's 46 pairs of strings, a good bass and, and a treble. So I, I like to play that, and uh, I play it quite a bit. Stan, could you tell, um, give us a, a sample of a song that's on one of the CDs that we have where people can hear the sound of a hammer dulcimer and you playing it? I love Long Island. You'll find the, one of the Long Island ones. Let's see. It's, well, both Long Island ones have it on there. The one called My Long Island Home. Uh, The third cut is Carolyn's Concerto. Turla O'Carolyn was an Irish harper who lived from 1670 to 1738, and he did about 200 tunes, and most hammer dulcimer players uh, like to play his tunes. So there's two of them called Carolyn's Concerto and George Brabazon uh, on there. Also, any of the others on there, like Shep Jones and Rustic Reel, those are all uh, hammer dulcimer 
tunes, too. Well, let's share them, then. Let, here's um, Stan Ransom playing, and I, I believe this is just instrumental. There, there's no vocal on yeah. So we'll hear a bit of Caroline's Concerto from Stan Ransom's CD, My Long Island Home, and listen to the, the kind of nice... You almost feel like you're in a gift shop somewhere in New England when you hear this sound of the hammer dulcimer. Concerto there from Stan Ransom on the Hammer Dulcimer. Stan Ransom is with us in the neighborhood talking about music and musical instruments, of which he knows many. And uh, he was just telling me off mic that on his CDs, when there are, are more than one instrument going, he's actually playing all of them and, and doing the overdubs. Did you go into a recording studio and do these? Yeah, for most of them I went across the water, the, the pond here. Uh, Lake Champlain to uh, Charlotte, Vermont, where Charles Eller has his studio. And he and Lane Gibson, the engineer, fixed me up, and so I did uh, most of my recordings there, except for the latest ones. Then they would make sure that everything was precisely correct in registration and so on, so that everything merged correctly. Well, yeah, I would imagine the overdubbing. I'm, I'm reading a book about the Beatles uh, as we speak, and just uh, it's telling the, the kinds of stuff that George Martin was doing in the studio on a four-track and then an eight-track machine that people later are trying to recreate digitally, and they, they just it was amazing what he was doing in coordinating everything 
that the Beatles were doing musically, syncing it all up together. Rather fascinating stuff. Yes. But you mentioned, so you also play the mandolin, and which is actually the hardest instrument that you play? What was the hardest to learn and to master? I haven't mastered the fiddle. I've had four days of uh, lessons on it. I decided I would leave the fiddle for those people who could spend more time on it. <laughs> so I, I work on other stringed instruments. The two that you mentioned earlier, the charanga, which is a South African small guitar, uh, eight-stringed, looks like a ukulele in size, but it has eight strings, and it's uh, often played um, in Argentina and uh, the South American ones. I use that to accompany my storytelling of South American songs like, uh, oh, Fox and Mole Go to the Moon, just picture book types of things. But it uh, gives a flavor for that particular country. Another one I play is the uh, Kora, which is a kind of a harp-like instrument from uh, Ghana. You can find them. The calabash is the bottom, and they have two horns sticking up with strings on them. When you play them with your fingers, they're fixed strings, so you just get six strings that you just plink in any particular way you want to. But they're also good for telling the stories like the colossal pumpkin and other uh, stories for children. Cool. You still perform public? I mean, how are, are you 82 or 83 at this point? I'm 83 now, and I'm director of the Plattsburgh Public Library, and that that takes uh, occupies me for about 50 hours a week. Of course, I get I get paid for 37. But <laughs> no, I go where the need is, and the, the need is always for more hours than I uh, am paid for. Plus, I volunteer at the hospital library for my wife, who is the hospital librarian. I don't have as much time as I used to. I only began, I was retired for 16 years after I was a system director. And it's that time, that period of time, when I did the most music and my CDs. I just do it maybe occasionally, maybe once a month. I go to a school and do a program on the War of 1812 or revolutionary songs or some other kinds of things like that. I'm still working on another CD on revolutionary music of New York State, including uh, a couple from Long Island and the North Country and the city and other other, uh, areas, because there hasn't been one, in my estimation, that has done justice to the music of the American Revolution in New York State. Huh. I mean, it just it just amazes me at, of how active you are, and this idea that your work week, your day job, is taking up fifty hours a week, and that's taking away from all the music and the performing and the CDs you're going to make. Great, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, it sounds well, like you're in good shape. Are are you? Are you in physically? Oh right? yes. I uh, I watch my weight. I've lost a lot of weight, uh, and I exercise couple times a day. The YMCA is right across the street from the library. So I go there and uh, exercise. My wife and I go walking at night and uh, we make sure we stay healthy. You know, I don't eat, unfortunately, I don't eat bagels and cream cheese. I miss. Yeah. But (laughs) uh, I'm eating more fruits and vegetables and, and enjoying it. But it's just wonderful to be able to play music, to talk about music, and to uh, be involved in the musical scene. When I started, well, 
Mm-hmm. I was, as I said, I was part of the folk music revival in Long Island. I didn't do it myself. I had about, there was 10 or 15 other people in my group anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you know Jerry Silverman from New York City, who um, has done an awful lot of uh, books on music. But he used to come out and play with us um, in the uh, 60s during the Civil Rights uh, era where we were playing all of the songs, mm-hmm. the Green uh, gre- Goose, oh, goodness. The Old Grey Goose? No. Oh, no, the Green Grasses Growing Over Me, mm-hmm. uh, Terrytown songs. Um, anyway, we would do Civil Rights songs, and uh, the first song I wrote was called Murder of Edwin Moore, I think his name was. He was a postman in 1964 and was murdered because he was trying to stand up for civil rights. Was he white? He was white man then. Yes, and, and so he was shot and dumped in a ditch. And so that was the first song I wrote, and uh, I never did anything with it. I don't even, it's somewhere around. But then I started thinking, you know, I can write songs about topical things, things that have happened. And that's pretty much what I've done both in Long, well, Long Island was traditional music, but upstate New York, I've done an awful lot of uh, collecting of music and uh, the Adirondacks, Lake Lake Champlain song, the Battle of Plattsburgh uh, CD and others that are useful in telling people the history of New York State and parts of it and teaching people songs that they might otherwise uh, forget. That's, that's cool. Can I ask, as part of the, the 60s thing, were you influenced by Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Bob Dylan? And yeah. So, so I, I know if that was totally separate from sort of the more traditionalist stuff, even though you were writing topical songs, I didn't know if you were influenced by what was going on more commercially in folk music. Were you? Yes. Oh, oh yes. Well, we all played the commercial songs, Peter, Paul, and Mary, yeah, and the Kingston Trio, and all of the uh, Bob Dylan, the the songwriters who were doing those things then, and we'd branch off and uh, pick up local songs and sing those also. In fact, anything anybody wanted to bring out, we would uh, try and uh, work on and play. So we were pretty eclectic as far as our music tastes go, as long as it was interesting, topical, civil rights or uh, history, funny uh, songs. Uh, one of our group, Alan Lance, a school librarian from Greenlawn, was fond of doing the Unreconstructed Rebel. You may or may not know that yeah. song about, I'm a good old rebel, and that's just what I am, uh, and about this country, I do not give a damn or something. <laughs> it's, it's an unreconstructed Southerner. Okay. However... He was himself no believer in that, but it was just a funny song. Oh, sure, yeah. We were doing all kinds of different kinds of songs, and uh, I would talk with the folk musicians who came. Frank Warner was one of them, and he uh, gave me a lot of tips on uh, sea songs that he had heard about that were from Long Island, uh, which I then tracked down, found, and uh, learned, and then uh, recorded. Uh, Just wanted to make sure I was as complete as possible in all of the songs and tunes I could find for Long Island. I have about 30 that I found that were traditional. As I say in my recordings, the only one that's not traditional 
is the song I wrote called I Love Long Island. In that, I tried to put in things that it interested me. Um, for instance, uh, Walt Whitman's birthplace was just south of Huntington, and I became a trustee of the Walt Whitman Birthplace Association and was very interested in Walt Whitman's poetry. And also, I had heard about a slave, a poet slave, in Lloyd Neck, just north of Huntington. Not much was known about him, and like you seize an opportunity when you see it. So I started really looking into Jupiter Hammond uh, and found his poetry in the Smithtown Library, the New York Historical Society. I went to Connecticut, hunted in the Connecticut uh, uh, a historical society, and when I start going, I go as deep as I can, and I came back with a whole lot of information about Jupiter Hammond, a slave poet born in 1711, died around 1800, and he was the first black poet to publish his own poetry on Christmas Day in 1760, about 10 years before Phyllis Wheatley of Boston. In fact, he even wrote a poem in honor of Miss Phyllis Wheatley. I wrote this book about the complete writings of Jupiter Hammond. Uh, at that time, when it came out, it was published in 1970. It came out as America's first Negro poet, Jupiter Hammond of Long Island. And I'd asked all the black leaders, uh, what do you like to be called, black, Negro? They said, oh, not black. I said, it's the Black Panthers. We don't like that term. So he said, use Negro. So that's why it came out as America's first Negro poet. And then four years later, <laughs> wish I had not chosen that title. Everything changed. <laughs> it was too late. So it went into a second edition. It's now out of print. But on the basis of that, I decided we needed to have more emphasis on uh, information on celebrating black contributions to America. And so I created a day called uh, Black Poetry Day nationally, and that first was celebrated in Huntington in 1970. Had June Jordan come and some uh, amagansett and did her poetry, and it's been going ever since. And it leapfrogged up here to Plattsburgh at our college, Plattsburgh State. Every year has a Black Poetry Day celebration, and uh, it's been going here since 1984. So anyway, Black Poetry Day was uh, very important to me, and I also uh, did some things like singing as the Connecticut peddler for the opening of our Freedom Center in Huntington when that first started. It was a uh, Freedom Center was an agency, a center that was to help blacks and children, particularly in things like education, reading, jobs, and everything else. I'm not sure if it's still going, but. Uh, Anyway, we all participated in trying to promote this opportunity for blacks that hadn't been available before to them. So anyway, I've been interested in uh, black poetry, and working, I work on that every year with the college. So a little bit of this and a little bit of that keeps you busy. Lord knows, I, I feel the same way, and, and uh, if you looked at the schedule of my life, you would see that's exactly what I do. I hope, I hope it keeps me as fine condition and at, as the age that you're at. Uh, you know, if I make it to 83, I want to be as busy and in as tip-top condition as Stan Ransom is. He's been our guest 
in the neighborhood here on Dave's Gone By. If, um, as I say, if you want to pick up his CDs or learn more about the uh, black poet Jupiter Hammond, your book is out of print, though. It's not like you can't, you don't have copies. Uh, yeah, I can get it in out of print areas, but uh, there's a lot of information about him, and I'm always pleased to be able to share any information that people are interested in. Well, the best place to go is stanransom.com, R-A-N-S-O-M, stanransom.com, to uh, get some of his music or to learn about his work or to find out about the songs and the poems that he has been archiving and collecting for so many decades, and hey, hopefully for another couple of decades to go. I think uh, <laughs> wishing you luck, certainly, also on your, your library work. It must be wild, like, knowing what a library was when you first started working at them in the 1950s to what a library is today. Like, what a change. I, I guess you don't get whiplash or shock because you've been through it steadily, as opposed to Rip Van Winkling it, where you, you go to oh, yeah. in 1962 and you wake up. But... Are you keeping pace with, I guess you have to, with all the modern technology? Oh, yes, you have to. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have an account on Twitter, but I don't have time to do a lot of the face of the social networking, just uh, Facebook. Also, of course, we're all computerized. No more card catalogs. Oh. Out they go. No more cards. So we're all online and working to, uh, in, in fact, we have a... Um, a new service to help people uh, with computer literacy. We have public access computers like most uh, libraries do nowadays, thanks to Bill and Melinda Gates and their foundation. And so we teach people how to uh, use computers if they don't know, and we teach them how to look for jobs and uh, get ready for employment, uh, interviews, cover letters, uh, job applications, resumes, so our library is very active in that uh, area, as well as many other libraries, I'm sure, are doing. Stan Ransom, I guess the word for you would be active, active with poetry and music and books and, uh, and you know, making your contribution to Long Island and New York and America, really, um, historically and currently. So I, I can't think of a, a better thing to be doing, and I just hope you keep on doing it. Thank you for uh, being with us in the neighborhood this morning. We will close our chat with Stan Ransom with I Love Long Island. Is that the song that mentions uh, Jupiter Hammond also? The only one uh, that mentions the black poet is I Love Long Island. Right, that's the, that's the one that we're going to play yeah. to uh, end the segment. And so, Also, yeah. if anyone wants to get in touch with me for questions, my email is sransom. S-R-A-N-S-O-M at Northnet, N-O-R-T-H-N-E-T dot org. S-Ransom at Northnet dot org. Well, thank you, Stan, for for getting in touch with us today. It's been really, really delightful chatting with you, and uh, just keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Dave. Have a great one. You too. the oyster, the clam and the water birds nesting in peace overlooking the sea this is my own my sunrise homeland this is the land where I want to be 
I love Long Island, Long Island, Long Island. I love Long Island, my home sweet home. Warm sandy beaches where seagulls are talking, skimming the white caps with flashing wing. The tang of the salt air, the smell of the driftwood fire. How many pleasures these memories bring. I love Long Island, Long Island, Long Island. I love Long Island, my home sweet home. Land of the clam digger, bayman and sailor. Land where our forefathers fought to be free. Poet and artist and offshore whaler all played a part in our history. I love Long Island, Long Island, Long Island. I love Long Island, my home sweet home. Island of shells, which the red man called Palmanock, place where the wampum was sure to be found. Cut from the heart of the succulent native clam, traded for goods beyond Long Island Sound. I love Long Island, Long Island, Long Island. I love Long Island, my home sweet home. Land where the black poet Jupiter Hammond lived, writing his verses so long, long ago. Land of Walt Whitman, our great poet laureate. Writing of grass and of things we all know. I love Long Island, Long Island, Long Island. I love Long Island, my home sweet home. Land blessed with farms and a climate for growing things. Cabbage, potatoes, and strawberries fine. Land where the sun glistens warm on the golden grapes, helping to sweeten our Long Island wine. I love Long Island, Long Island, Long Island. I love Long Island, my home sweet home. I love Long Island, Long Island, Long Island. I love Long Island, my home sweet home. I have to say that uh, by the time my wife and I moved from Long Island, New York, to Colorado a year and a half ago. I was pretty sick of Long Island. And, uh, I was tired of the taxes. I was tired of just the, the grim and uh, overworked people and the feeling and the atmosphere and the cost of New York. And I was, I was pretty happy to get out. But a song like that makes me think of some of the better times, the more nostalgic things about Long Island. Stan Ransom there, I love Long Island. And we'll probably play a little more Stan towards the end of the show, but we still have another hour or so of Dave's Gone By to go, including about a half an hour of Bob Dylan music in our segment, Bob Dylan Sooner and Later, coming up at just about noon. And Rabbi Sal Solomon will be making his appearance. His weekly rabbinical reflection will be in the next hour, and he'll be talking about Charlie Sheen. You do not want to miss the rabbi's thoughts on Charlie Sheen. But before we get to all that, I do have to uh, do some, I guess they call it housework or housekeeping for the program and for the station and thank the folks who make Dave's Gone By and UNC Radio possible. Those include Red's Dogs and Donuts. Get your wild game going at Red's Dogs and Donuts. They're offering a wild game brat of the week. Listen to these uh, selections here. Wild boar, smoked elk, alligator, 
venison antelope, pheasant, smoked duck, jalapeno cheddar, uh, excuse me, jalapeno cheddar buffalo brats, and more. And Red's dogs, you know, mostly they're even known for their donuts and their spud nuts, which are donuts made out of potato flour. And you figure, wow, donuts have a potato flour? What? I'm telling you, I just had one this week. They're so sweet and delicious. All different kinds of donuts and fritters that they make. Uh, they also have pies. And every Friday night, they have Texas Hold'em Poker Tournaments, sponsored by the Denver Poker Tour Company. It's free to play. And at the end of the year, the grand prize winner gets $10,000. So for all this information, go to RedsDogsAndDonuts.com. RedsDogsAndDonuts.com. Or head on over and get yourself a wild game brat or a spud nut or a funky fritter. 2608 11th Avenue. That's right by Highway 34 in the King Super Shopping Center. Red's Dogs and Donuts. I want to do a couple of uh, things for the station here, letting you know that Relay for Life Week is happening uh, when, ooh, why is this still here? Um, (laughs) I should have looked this over before I grabbed it. I I see. Most of this is old stuff, but not all of it. April 1st and 2nd is the Relay of Life, uh, Relay for Life of UNC at the UNC Rec Center. Uh, It's I guess, for the American Cancer Society. For more information, please go to uncrelayforlife.org. I want to let you know that women's basketball, the season continues. Got another month of games coming up, including um, tonight. They're at Northern Arizona at 6.30 in the afternoon. Go women's b-ball. They really, uh, really came on this year. They've been doing really, really well. Men's basketball, also tonight, they're in northern Arizona at 7.05 p.m., and then on February 28th, they will be playing at Idaho State. And March 2nd, I think that's before the next show that I do, uh, they'll be hosting Sacramento State. Oh, as a matter of fact, I'm sorry, northern Arizona is at home tonight at 7.05, and March 2nd, Sacramento State is also at home, men's basketball at UNC. Programming on UNC Radio is supported by Marquee Magazine, an independent Colorado magazine covering the regional live music scene in print and online. It's got the region's most thorough concert calendar, and it's designed for music freaks by music freaks. More information, marqueemag.com, M-A-R-Q-U-E-E, marqueemag.com. The Marquee, live for live music. We got UNC Wrestling. Their next match is next, um, I think it's Saturday or Sunday, March 6th. And they're playing Air Force Academy at uh, Colorado all day. Wow, that's a lot of wrestling. <laughs> and what else we got? This is old. So I'm going to pull that. Bye bye. Letting you know that the Dropkick Murphys are going to be at the Fillmore in Denver on March 1st. To buy tickets, go to LiveNation.com. My Chemical Romance is also a Live Nation-sponsored show. 
They're playing April 9th at the Fillmore in Denver. And you remember, please, to listen to shows on UNC Radio, especially weeknights from about 4 until 11 or 12 at night, because that's when they give away most of the free tickets to uh, concerts and stuff playing here and in Denver, although uh, very happy to be giving away tickets on this program, as we did about an hour ago, to Wizard of Oz playing at the UCCC tonight There's also a matinee this afternoon, by the way, if you're interested. At the UCCC, the tour of The Wizard of Oz, 3 o'clock and 7.30 tonight. And congrats to the ticket winners for tonight's show. Um, Also want to let you know that this particular program, Dave's Gone By, is brought to you by Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the mid-1970s, the Torong family has owned and operated Hewlett Minuteman Press right in the heart of Hewlett, Long Island, on Broadway, across the street from the big old Lomans. Anything you need copied, printed, bound, if you need your logo on a pen or a mug or a calendar, if you need holiday cards, Hewlett Minuteman Press is the place to go. And if you mention Dave sent you, you get 10% off any job, big or small. Give them a buzz, 516-569-5577. 516-569-5577. I know a lot of my listeners are in Colorado or not in New York, but let me tell you, I use Hewlett Minuteman for some of my printing jobs, the bigger ones, and I, I do it by mail. And they do a great job, reasonably priced, Hewlett Minuteman Press. Program is also brought to you by TotalTheater.com, the place to go to read theater reviews from all over the country, all over the world, including Broadway and Off-Broadway. So if you want to stay on top of what's happening in the theaters of the country and the world, TotalTheater.com. It's totally free. It's reviews. It's also feature articles. We had a bunch of uh, shows, uh, excuse me, uh, new reviews that we put up just this week. So it's really being kept current. You got to check it out. TotalTheater.com. And brought to you by Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944. This is a hard copy publication that goes to people involved in the Broadway and theater and entertainment industry. So if you want to know what's happening on Broadway, down to the smallest detail of how to contact an actor or a playwright or the designers, how to get in touch with press agents and producers and managers, if you want to hear the rumors of what shows are coming to New York in six months, a year, or two years, it's all there in the pages of Performing Arts Insider, Broadway, Off-Broadway, Cabaret, Opera, Dance, Special Events, Off-Off-Broadway. It's all there. Go to PerformingArtsInsider.com for more information, PerformingArtsInsider.com. And finally, Dave's Gone By is brought to you by Fancy Schmancy Balloons. The, uh, the owner, Jeff Goodman, is a good friend of the program. He was my co-host for a couple of years when I was doing this show on Long Island, but Jeff's main business is making your party look great. It's called Fancy Schmancy Balloons, but it's not not like balloon animals or something like that, although he can do them. He makes big old archways and centerpieces to make your party look fun and great. If you want to have a party that's kind of based on everything from sports to Star Wars to your favorite movie or to Monopoly, it can all be done, your bar mitzvah, your 
christening, Sweet 16s, holiday parties, give Jeff Goodman a call at 516-797-3229. Area code 516-797-3229. If you're in the tri-state area, Jeff is the guy to go to for your party. Because, again, not only does he design your party and make it look great, but if you don't know the first thing about setting up a big party – he will help you put it together. He'll find the DJ and the caterer and the flower people, whatever you need. Get Jeff on your side. Fancy schmancy blooms. Shouldn't your party be a fancy schmancy one? Well, it is 12.04 in the afternoon here at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, Colorado. You're listening to UNC Radio on uncradio.com or Channel 3 on your dorm room television sets if you are students at the school. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. You're listening to Dave's Gone By. We're here every Saturday from 10 until 1 in the afternoon. And right around noon, we play about a half hour of Bob Dylan music. We call it Bob Dylan Sooner and Later because it's songs from all different uh, times of his career, early, middle, and current, and uh, like, St- <clears throat> excuse me, like Stan Ransom, I hope he keeps going for many, many years to come. And so I was looking to see what, what kind of songs would I play for this edition of Sooner and Later, and I wanted to do uh, songs with the word March in them, because you know, the calendar is going to change over this week, and I could only find a couple. There's a couple of songs with the word March in them on... Um, his one of his most recent collections, Telltale Signs, but it turns out it's that extra third disc. Telltale Signs is a a two disc set, more of the bootleg series that Bob Dylan did. But I didn't realize that he released a uh, a limited edition <coughs> limited edition three disc version of it, and I only have the two discs. Oh well. Gonna have to go trolling on eBay or Half.com or just looking through the libraries to see if anybody's got that that third special disc of outtakes. But two of those songs I cannot play. Oh well. So I'm gonna play a couple of songs with March in them and just some random stuff that I feel like hearing from Bob Dylan on this Saturday afternoon, February twenty sixth, two thousand and eleven. Let us begin with well. Dylan from the very beginning, his first album, Pretty Peggio.
planning to put me down. All I'd like you to do, tell me that it Some other man That is tall, dark, and handsome And you're holding his hand Darling, I'm counting on you Tell me that it is Where we were born in 
blessed me twice You hung the flame You paid the price Oh babe That fire Is still smoking You were stone You were rain You were stride You were plain Oh Words have not been spoken Change your mind when things go wrong. So wrong with you. It hurts me too. I want you, baby, just to understand. I don't want to be your boss, baby. I just want to be your man. When things go wrong. What's wrong with you? It hurts me too. Now when you go home, you don't have to get along. Come back to me, baby. Well, if that's where you belong, when things go wrong. Something wrong with you It hurts me too Treat you, baby. Nothing in this world is like you. When things go wrong, so wrong with you. It hurts me too. Yes, when things go wrong, so wrong with you. It hurts me too.
Put your little hand in mine I got something to tell you, baby I know that will change your mind When things go wrong So wrong with you Don't you know it Don't you know it hurts me too
There's something so powerful about that song. It's just so there and in the moment. And it's St. James, James Infirmary is, of course, the melody that Bob Dylan takes for uh, the song Blind Willie McTell. But uh, just uh, that song just casts a spell. One of those great lost songs, one of the songs that just never made it onto an album. And then finally, finally, Dylan and the folks at Columbia Records said, Okay, let's let's share this with the world. Let's get this out there on the bootleg collections, and that's that's one of the the best things that uh, was salvaged and reclaimed and uh, given to everybody. Blind Willie McTell, Dylan sooner and later is the name of the segment. We do that every week on Dave's Gone By from noon until about twelve thirty, a half hour of Bob Dylan music, and on this particular uh, episode of. Dylan sooner and later. We started with Pretty peggy and the reason we did that, not just because it's from Bob Dylan's very first album, but we were looking for some songs that had March in them, just because it'll be March in just a couple of days. So I uh, didn't really find that many, unfortunately, as I went digging around for lyrics. I found um, peggy where they, he talks about We March Down, and then I uh, heard a song called Little Maggie from Good As I've Been To You. And the line in there that goes, uh, well, it's March Me Away To The Station. We also then heard Abandoned Love, another from the bootleg collection, I March In The Parade Of Liberty. Actually, that, was, that wasn't um, bootleg, that was biograph. But uh, another song with March in it. And then I just went and scattered some Dylan songs that I felt like hearing, including Tell Me That It Isn't True from Nashville Skyline, Born in Time, It Hurts Me Too, um, that's from Self-Portrait, and finally, Blind Willie McTell, here on Dave's Gone By. If you want to see the playlist of this show and a bunch of previous episodes, do go to our MySpace page, myspace.com forward slash 
Dave's Gone By. MySpace.com forward slash Dave's Gone By. And also, of course, if you want to hear previous episodes of this program, we have 343 of them previously. And of those, we've salvaged all but four or five. So they're all there, all going back to October of 2002 with tons of very special guests. I mean, amazing, famous people from folks like Carol Channing to Vicki Lawrence and Linda Lavin, Tom Paxton, Oscar Brand, Theodore Bacall. I mean, just this gamut of folks who have appeared on the show over the years, as well as lesser known but equally interesting guests just like we had today with Stan Ransom. And we'll try and put up this episode in just a day or two. So the archives will be there. Remember that the archives are absolutely free. All you got to do is go to davesgoneby.com, look for the archive section, and they're listed in two different ways. If you're looking for a particular guest, a celebrity who's been on the show, there's a list of that. And then there's another chronological list taking the show down all the way back to its very beginning. And you can either stream the episodes on your computer or download them to your hard drive or your iPod. Lots of ways to listen to Dave's Gone By. And thank you, of course, for listening on Saturday mornings here on UNC Radio and uncradio.com. We're here from 10 until 1 in the afternoon, mountain time, in beautiful, well, somewhat snowy northern Colorado. Going to give you the weather now. Let's see. I'm going to update that because it was cold this morning, about 14 degrees, but now it's going to be pushing 30 soon, and we're supposed to get a high of about 52 degrees. I don't necessarily see that happening. Uh, But it's going to be nicer weather than we had the last couple of days. So mix of clouds and sun. High just about 52. Winds kind of gusty, 10 to 20 miles per hour. Going to go down to the 20s tonight. Again, a little bit warmer than we've been having. And then tomorrow, Sunday, mix of clouds and sun early. Then cloudy later in the day. Slight chance of a rain shower. Rather than a snow shower, that'd be nice. High near 50, winds light and variable. And then Sunday night, few clouds, low down to about 20. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, getting to the nicer weather again. Lows are going to be in the mid to upper 20s, but the highs are going to push to the upper 50s. And then Wednesday, we might even see low 60s again. So, yeah, we, we got over the worst of it yesterday. We had that bit of unexpected snow, a reminder that... We're not quite through with winter yet. And uh, my wife, who usually is more the optimist and the bearer of good news, reminded me that around these parts in Colorado, March tends to be one of the worst months for weather. You know, you figure you get through January, you make it through February, spring is around the corner, just three weeks away. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And, of course, we had some gorgeous weather a week ago. And then my wife is like, no, 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 be prepared. You know, the, the storm systems come through. Be ready for snow. That's what March is. <sighs> She's right. But we've had such a relatively good year here weather-wise that maybe uh, she won't be so right in this case. You know, maybe we had our last bit of snow. I doubt it. But it would be nice. Anywho, it's 1237 in the afternoon and seems about the right time to go back to current events and have our weekly commentator on them. He's a friend of the program, and he has been on Dave's Gone By since the very, very first episode 
that we did, lo, these many years ago. He's a spiritual leader of sorts, an intellect of sorts. He is uh, Rabbi Saul Solomon. He's the spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York, and he has come on here the past few weeks to give his thoughts about everything from President's Day to Martin Luther King to the great controversy surrounding Taco Bell. Well, he's back on controversial topics this particular afternoon because he couldn't help but weigh in on what Charlie Sheen has been doing to himself uh, these past couple of weeks, especially this one where he seems to have completely imploded and is just knocking everything and everyone around him, including himself. Does, uh, Char- does Rabbi Saul Solomon have hope for Charlie Sheen? Let's listen in. We welcome Rabbi Saul to the neighborhood, to Dave's Gone By, with his rabbinical reflection of the week. This is Rabbi Saul Solomon with a rabbinical reflection for the week of February 27th, 2011. Chaos, turmoil, madness, uncontrolled rebellion. No, I'm not talking about Libya. I'm talking about Charlie Sheen, the handsome but unprincipled actor who makes Lindsay Lohan look like Rebecca of Sunnybrook Stettel. After yet another stay in rehab, ooh, that must have been a tough three days, Sheen pronounced himself fit as a fiddle and ready for work. Just what CBS wanted to hear about their hit show, Two and a Half Men. Only Charlie Sheen's idea of being ready for work is vilifying his boss, the show's creator, on syndicated radio. He called producer Chuck Lorre an earthworm, a maggot, and a charlatan, which is pretty strong stuff to call anyone who isn't a lawyer. But okay... Who among us hasn't said terrible things about their boss? I once called the chief of the Southeast New England Board of Rabbis a douchebag. Because he was. But I didn't do it in public. I did it quietly, behind his back, the way you're supposed to insult people. More upsetting in the latest Charlie Sheen incident is his migration into Mel Gibson mode. In Sheen's rant, and apropos of nothing... The actor repeatedly calls Chuck Lorre by his birth name, Chaim Levine. Sheen claims he did it as a way of calling out the real man instead of the guy's phony Hollywood persona. Too bad it sounded like Sheen saying, here's another Jew using his money and power to abuse poor underpaid actors. Yes, Chuck Lorre did change his name from Chaim Levine. Just like Archie Leach switched his name to Cary Grant, and Arthur Rosenberg magically became Tony Randall. But in this day and age, what kind of pathetic loser would change his name to make it less ethnic and more saleable in Hollywood? Gee, Carlos Estevez, do you think there's a possibility changing your name to Charlie Sheen got you playing boyfriends and Lotharios instead of Mexican drug dealers and auto mechanics? Just ask your brother Emilio how much work his name got. Now, I'm not in agreement with concealing your heritage, 
But sometimes you do what you have to do to get a job. For example, when I first started looking for a job as a rabbi, I had to change my real name. What synagogue would hire Fergus O'Malley? <laughs> nah, nah, I'm kidding. But seriously, it is not surprising to hear anti-Jewish slurs tumble from the mouth of a sheen. Charlie's father, Martin, has been a longtime Palestinian sympathizer. He even appeared at a right of return rally alongside Ralph Nader and Susan Sarandon back in 2000. Yeah, yeah, let's give Palestinians right of return. As soon as Americans have right of return to the 93rd floor of the World Trade Center. Anyway, CBS TV has finally said goodbye, Charlie, and halted production on Two and a Half Men, which should really be called A Man and a Half and a Moron. Meanwhile, the moron believes that he has successfully completed rehab. No problem with alcohol, no problem with drugs, no problem with beating the crap out of prostitutes. Come to think of it, no wonder Martin Sheen is pro-Arab. His son would make a great Libyan dictator. Perhaps I'm being cruel. From watching Celebrity Rehab, I know addiction is terrible. And the nasty things Charlie Sheen says are just his disease talking. Then again, if diseases could talk, my hernia would have its own blog. I do not wish ill on Charlie Sheen. I do not wish well on him either. We can pretty much stop hoping he'll ever be a two-and-a-half mensch. But at least he could grow up and get some real help. Why, he could even go to the Chabad people, a telethon his own father pitched for. And if Charlie feels like calling the Chabadniks by their Jewish names, I'm sure they won't mind. This has been a rabbinical reflection by Rabbi Saul Solomon, Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. Desperado why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you've got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy She'll beat you if she's able No, the queen of hearts is always your best bet Now it seems to me some fine things Have been laid upon your table But you only want the things that you can't get Desperado Oh, you ain't getting no younger Your pain and your hunger They're driving you home And freedom, oh freedom Well, that's just some people talking Your prison is walking 
through this world all alone And don't your feet get cold in the wintertime The sky won't snow, the sun won't shine It's hard to tell the nighttime from the day You're losing all your highs and lows Ain't it funny how the feeling goes away Desperado Why don't you come to your senses Come down from your fences And open the gate It may be raining But there's a rainbow above you You better let somebody love you You better let somebody love you You better let somebody love you Before it's too late I wanna walk you home Please let me walk you home Let me walk you home You look so good to me Ooh I wish I was a lucky guy Who could walk you right on down the aisle I love the way you walk I love to hear you talk I love the way you walk I'm not trying to be smart I'm not trying to break your heart But if I ask you for a deed Will you tell me that I'm not too late I want to hold your hand Please let me hold your hand I want to hold your hand Please let me hold your hand You look so good to me Ooh I saw you walking all alone That's why I want to walk you home So let me walk you home Please let me walk you home I want to walk you home Please let me walk you home You look so good to me Ooh I saw you walking all alone That's why I want to walk you home That's why I want to walk you home That's why I want to walk you home Yeah, almost time to head home here from the neighborhood. It's 11 minutes till 1 o'clock in the afternoon here in Greeley, Colorado. Bit more of Fats Domino and Johnny Cash in honor of their birthdays. We played a bunch of their songs early in the program. Happy 
birthday, Fats Domino, 82 years old today, and Johnny Cash would have been 79. And so we heard, I Want to Walk You Home from uh, the Fat Man and Johnny Cash doing Desperado. I'm not sure who is doing the uh, the backing vocals on that. Sorry. But anyway, happy to play some Johnny Cash. And one of the cool things about... Um, being at the University of Northern Colorado and being on the radio station here and being programming director of the radio station is that I'm starting to work on playlists now that we've got our uh, our computer stuff a bit more sorted out. And so all day today I'll be uh, having – when we don't have live people on the radio – here at UNC Radio. What we mostly do, especially in the afternoons and evenings, but in the late nights and in the mornings, a lot of times it's just uh, music that is pre-programmed, and I'm involved in that. And for a while, for a long time, it's just been the iTunes being randomly going through our 18,000 songs in our library, and that's kind of fun. You never, never really know what it's going to pluck next, but I'm trying to work with it, massage it a little bit more, and start doing these playlists. And so today's playlist, you'll be hearing quite a bit more of Johnny Cash and Fats Domino in honor of their birthdays, which I think is kind of cool. And we'll be doing more and more of that in the days ahead, trying to beef up our playlists and coordinate them to people's birthdays and stuff folks want to hear. Anyway... Let's see, what else did I have to mention? Oh, uh, I want to talk about friends of the show and letters that we get to the neighborhood. First of all, a friend of the program who's been on the show twice, he is a street singer out in Wisconsin. I think it's Madison rather than Milwaukee, but I could be wrong. Art Paul Schlosser, people first heard about him, I think, through Dr. Demento, and he has a very unique kind of outsider artist vision, folk singer, mostly comic, sometimes a bit satirical, kind of cool stuff. Maybe his most famous number is the magnificently annoying Have a Peanut Butter Sandwich. I have to play that here one of these days. It's great. And and he also has done a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, he went through a period about two years ago that was really, like, intently, intensely pro-Wisconsin and was doing this Buddy Holly cheesehead character because uh, the Wisconsin sports fans are cheeseheads, something like that. I, I don't live there and I don't know. I kind of care, but not that much. But he, he went through that. He even had like his 10 seconds of fame on American Idol or America's Got Talent or something like that. But his real gig, his real thing is playing in clubs and coffee houses around Wisconsin and playing on the streets of Wisconsin. Well, you know, what's going on over there is completely politically nuts. You've got that idiot Republican governor who's not willing to budge and Democrats who are screaming in pain because these budget cuts are, are ridiculous and they're going to make it either either everybody's going to fire, be fired or quit or work for less than they can live on. It's It's really bad, folks. And, you know, if they don't sit down and negotiate, we're going to have a, another Libya on our hands. Somewhat. Well, we we might if gas goes to $4 a gallon. But anyway, you know, you can't just dump on the school teachers and the union people the way that uh, the governor of Wisconsin is doing, a fellow named uh, Scott Walker. Well, Art Paul Schlosser has written what I think is one of his coolest, savviest, sharpest numbers. I, I, much as I love his, his stuff and much as I think he's kind of great, I wouldn't have expected this from him. Uh, somebody took a video camera to a protest at the Capitol. I guess 
I assume it's in Milwaukee. I, I don't remember where the capital of Wisconsin is. I'm not that young anymore. So uh, they, they grabbed Art Paul Schlosser on the fly singing a song about the governor of Wisconsin called Scott Walker Loves You. Uh, the, the sound quality is not that great, but I think the attitude and the feeling comes through, and it's really, really cool. Here's Art Paul Schlosser. I love you. I'm lying, but I love you. I want to help you out. I'll do my best as governor, but I, what can I say? I can't help you. I love you. I love you. That's why I want to cut some of your benefits. I love you. I want to make sure teachers can negotiate their contract. I love you. I love you. I'm your governor, Scott Walker, and I'm Valentine's Day and all year round. I want to say I love you. I love you. Just like Judas gave Jesus a kiss before he betrayed him. I love you. I love you. My fingers are crossed, but I love you. And if you want some new jobs, well, I'll show you where the unemployment line is. I love you. Art Paul Schlosser there with a live impromptu performance uh, done at the Wisconsin State Capitol. Actually, I should have looked that up while the song was playing. Where the heck is the State Capitol of Wisconsin? Let's see. Um, Google, help me out. State Capitol with an O or is it with an A? Nope, the building is the, the O, the thing is the A. I never remember. It's Madison, isn't it? Yeah, Madison. So maybe it was a Madison. Either way, good stuff from Art Paul Schlosser. Much, much darker and more joyfully cynical than I've ever heard him, and, and uh, it's good to hear. Also, I want to let you know about some other folks who have appeared on Dave's Gone By over the months and years. Last week's guest, Linda Lavin, is playing in other desert cities at the Mitzi Newhouse Theater off Broadway. Uh, one more week till, excuse me, one more weekend till February 27th. So you only have um, two or three more chances to see her in that show. Although it's very, I don't know, talk is that they're going to move it to Broadway in just a couple of months. To, on, not tomorrow, on Monday only. If you happen to be listening to this program in Florida... Hmm. You can catch Theodore Bakel 
one of our guests. In fact, he was a guest uh, in November of 2009. He will be at a special benefit for Theater J in Washington, D.C. That's a Jewish theater that they have there. He and Jim Brochu, the guy who was in um, The Zero Hour off-Broadway last year, the two of them are reading The Sunshine Boys, special benefit reading of the Neil Simon play. That's only Monday. That's only Monday night, February 28th. So if you're interested, do check that out at Theater J in Washington. Why did I say Florida? It's Washington. Hmm. Uh, March 1st, 2011, Linda Eder drops her new CD called Now. There's songs, new songs, by her ex-husband, Frank Wildhorn. He was also a guest on this show back in September of 2005. Sony Masterworks is releasing the CD by Linda Eder. That's this week, March 1st. Um, running from March 2nd to March 20th, Karen Coonrod will direct Afra Ben's play The Rover at One World Financial Center in New York. It's a free production. Anybody can go see it. And Karen Coonrod, she was uh, one of our early guests. She appeared back in January of 2003. So wishing her well on that show. And if the name Afra Ben means anything to us around here at uh, the University of Northern Colorado, it's because the school did an Afra Ben play just a couple of months ago here that got uh, that was pretty well received and, and quite well done. So check that out. Uh, Afra Ben's The Rover in New York, One World Financial Center through March 20th. Todd Robbins and uh, Teller from Penn & Teller are at the Players Theater on McDougal Street through March 6th doing their scary, creepy, strange performance play called Play Dead. And Richard Skipper still in his open run as Carol Channing off-Broadway at the St. Luke's Theater. Jamie DeRoy and Friends on April 17th. Now, Jamie DeRoy, she's kind of like Richard Skipper, too. She's a cabaret hostess. She's also a producer. That's her, her main job on and off Broadway. But she still does cabaret evenings where she gets really talented comedians and singers. She's been doing it for 20 years. So she's having a 20th anniversary Jamie DeRoy and Friends at Feinstein's at the Regency. Ooh. Among the guests are going to be Larry Gatlin, Christian Knoll, and Clint Holmes. So, yeah, April 17th. You have a couple of weeks to plan and book. Catch Jamie DeRoy and friends. And we got a couple of letters in the mail from our friends of the show, including singer-songwriter Tony Powers. He was a guest in March of 2008. What I'm up to, I, I asked him how he was doing. He said, I wish I could tell you something exciting, but in truth, I'm being very lazy. I really got to get some new equipment and take the leap into the 21st century and learn Pro Tools. Oh, well, one of these days. Be well and continue. Peace, Tony. Well, peace to Tony, too. Um, yeah, I should be playing more of his stuff on my show. Uh, he's probably, he's certainly best known for that song, Don't Nobody Move, This Is a Heist, which was big on MTV in the very, very first year or two of its existence. And the, the first video that I really, really liked from the station, apart from some of the stuff David Bowie was doing. And I got a nice letter from David Dow Bentley. He's a theater critic from Texas. And he says, hello from Texas. I saw a mention of Mary Claire Harron. <clears throat> Pardon me. Now, Mary Claire Harron, I should mention, was a cabaret and nightclub singer who died really um, tragically and unexpectedly about two or three weeks ago when she was riding her bicycle 
and got hit and killed. And so it sent a bit of a shockwave through the cabaret and New York music community. And David Dow Bentley is a New Yorker, but he's also from Texas. And he said, I saw a mention of Mary Claire Herring and found my way to listen to your program regarding her from several weeks back. That opening song was Pure Silk. Thank you. I think it was back, or actually Mary Claire Herring would thank you from wherever she's listening in. I think it was back in the early 1980s, says David Dow Bentley, when I was a front money angel for the several years of development for a darling little show called The Heebie Jeebies. It was a musical based on the famed Boswell Sisters, a singing trio of the 1930s. And after various incarnations, the show opened at the Westside Arts Theater off Broadway to some very favorable reviews. And a couple not, but the New York Times liked it. And the heebie-jeebies ran a few months in a very hot summer, but fizzled. Wish they had waited for a fall opening. Okay, here's where um, Mary Claire Herring comes in. Anyway, it is David Dow Bentley's recollection that Mary Claire Herring was the understudy for the three wonderful gals who played the sisters. Can you confirm that? I, I checked. I was not able to, David. I, I looked on um, the Lucille Lortel website, and they have less information about the show than you have. So I, ju- I suggest you contact like the Lucille Lortel archive folks and at least give them the original cast because you know that. They apparently don't. Anyway, uh, the letter continues. Some years later, I met Mary Claire Herring when she performed at the Rainbow Room. She was very sweet when we spoke after her show, and I believed she confirmed her um, heebie-jeebies participation at that time. I was totally shocked when you announced her tragic death. I had not heard that sad story. Best regards, David Dow Bentley. Well, Dave, yeah, I'm sorry you had to get the news from uh, here in the neighborhood, but that's kind of one of the things we do, just letting people know who's new, who's passing, and who's passing through the neighborhood. Thank you to all our friends of the show and all our listeners of the show. Very special thanks, of course, to Stan Ransom for his appearance today in the neighborhood. You can check his music out at stanransom.com. Stan, R-A-N-S-O-M dot com. Huh, happy 83, 84, 85, 95, 105 birthdays to Stan Ransom. Hope he keeps going just as strong and just as musically as he is now. Thank you to my wonderful wife, Joyce, and to the sponsors of Dave's Gone By, Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway, Jeff Goodman of Fancy Schmancy Balloons, TotalTheater.com, and Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944. Well, Eddie, it's time to, uh, to leave the neighborhood, alas, alack, but we will be back. Next Saturday, 10 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon. Not sure who the guest will be if we have a guest. Been throwing all these different balls up in the air and trying to see where they will come down. But uh, the one thing I did want to play for you, and I I, I can't believe I haven't had a chance yet. Uh, It's a rather odd song to end the show with. But I used to torture my former uh, guest host on the show, Jeff Goodman. Uh, the Banksy Schmancy Balloon guy with this just because uh, it's the greatest first line maybe in the whole history of recorded music folk or otherwise now this is a song remember this is Stan Ransom this is a song about whaling a song about going out in the ocean and getting you know catching your fish for the day 
or really catching a big fish for oil and perfume and whatever else. But taken out of context or even in context, you really can't beat the first line of this song from Stan Ransom, Coast of Peru. Come all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. Come all you young fellas that's rounded the horn. Yeah, you you can see how I would torture <laughs> torture my guest host with that one. Ah, uh, yes, and I, I would play it over and over just to annoy him. So I'm gonna do it one more time here. Come all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. I should have that on my answering machine. No, maybe I shouldn't have that on my answering machine. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you to Stan Ransom. Be with me back in the neighborhood. And it will be March next time we're here. So have a wonderful afternoon. Enjoy the weather as it gets better and better over the next couple of days. Enjoy your end of February. Let's all go whaling on the coast of Peru. And uh, what are we looking for again? Come all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. Oh, yeah. Come all you young fellas that's rounded the horn. Our captain has told us, and we hope it will prove true, that there's plenty of sperm whales on the coast of Peru. Have a good one. We have weathered the horn and are now on Peru. We are all of one mind and endeavor to do. Our boats are all rigged and our masthead all manned. Our rig and rove light and our signals all planned. Good day and go by. whale we saw, it was late in the day. The captain come up and these words he did say. Get into your hammocks and quiet there be. We'll see him in the morning close under our lee. Next morning at daybreak about five o'clock, the man at the masthead cried, Yonder she spouts, where away does she lay? And the answer from aloft, two points on our lee bow and about three miles off. Then it's call up all hands and it's be of good cheer. Put your tubs in your boats, boys, have your bow lines all clear. Sway up your boats now, jump in you boats, crew. Lower away now, lower away, my brave fellows do. Our waste boat got down and of course got the start. Lay on, Captain Bunker, I'm hell for to dart. Now bend to your oars, boys, and make the boat fly. The one thing we dread of, keep clear of his eye. Now the chief mate, he struck him, and the whale, he went down. The captain pulled up, and he tried to bend on. But the whale began to vomit, and blood for to spout. And in less than ten minutes, we had him fin out. We towed him alongside, and with many a shout, we soon cut him in and began to try out. Now our whale she has tried and likewise stowed down. She's better to us boys than five hundred pounds. Here's a health to all whale men, boys, drink it down, do. Likewise to the Bengal and our whale ship's crew. 
All of you that want money, I would have you to go on the coast of Peru where the sperm whales do blow.